Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. This is the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show, UFC 272 edition, with many great guests that are on this card and otherwise. We'll start off, of course, with the president of the UFC, Dana White, often joins me during the week of pay-per-views to talk about uh, what's going on in the UFC. And, of course, with a big card like this, he uh, was eager to talk about Covington versus Masvidal, as well as many other things coming up in the UFC. Of course, that interview, when you listen to it, is a little bit dated as uh, the news with Rafael Fiziev uh, being replaced by Henato Moicano had not yet come out. So that uh, part of the interview is uh, a little bit dated. But be that as it may, we did speak to the big boss, and I would like to share that interview with you. We also got the opportunity to speak to the two headliners of the main event of UFC 272, Jorge Masvidal and Kobe Chaos Covington. Listener discretion is advised, I will say, uh, for any time really we have Masvidal or Kobe Covington on the show, but uh, I digress. We have both of them and they will be joining me to discuss this weekend's card. Also joining me is Thiago Alves, the legend. He's, uh, of course, trained at American Top Team. With these two individuals, he's now a champion in bare-knuckle boxing, and he talked about that as well as the main event this weekend. Kevin Holland, big mouth, moving down to 170 pounds, taking on Cowboy Oliveira. He'll join us, as will Maria Agapova, who's in kind of the Covington-Masvidal light of this card, not just because they're in a lighter weight class, but because they weren't necessarily the best of friends, but did train together at American Top Team, had a big falling out uh, with Marina Moroz, and uh, now will be facing her on this weekend's card. Very, very uh, revealing interview with Maria Agapova, where she opened up about a lot of the things that she was going through in the lead-up to the event. So let's get to those right now. We've got UFC President Dana White, Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal, Thiago Alves, Kevin Holland, and Maria Agapova right here on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. It's this weekend at T-Mobile Arena. It's UFC 273 headlined by Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. This is a, kind of a different main event because we haven't really had a lot of non-title bouts that are five rounds that don't feature Conor McGregor really since UFC 100. Why was this the one to make when you're sitting in the matchmakers when you're deciding on a pay-per-view main event? Uh, a non-title fight between Covington and, and Masvidal is an interesting one. Yeah, obviously, you know, these guys, great storyline between the two, hate each other. Two of the best guys in the world, number one versus number six, um, and uh, a fight that the fans have wanted to see for a long time. Now, the story is fascinating. Obviously, they were two of the best friends training at the same camp, and then, of course, their relationship dissolved. It reminds me a little bit of John Jones versus Rashad Evans. We saw that happen years ago, I, although I don't think those guys were quite as close. When it actually gets, exactly. Yeah, when it actually gets the in-cage action, how do you think that that's going to manifest? Well, this is more so. I mean, these guys trained together, lived together, cornered each other we're literally friends that actually went out and hung out together um so i, I don't know to, to see how this thing's going to play out in the fight obviously they both know each other's strengths they know each other's weaknesses um you know it'll be interesting to see the game plan we know how colby coming to fights fast paced in your face tries to wear you out you're so worried about the takedown he actually does really well with his hands he's got a great chin and uh see if that game plan changed uh, against the fight with masvidal now, interestingly enough, if Colby Covington wins this fight, it'll be the third straight fight he's won against a former training partner. He beat Lawler, uh, then he beat, um, who am I thinking of, uh, Tyron Woodley, 
and then he beat Masvidal. And now he's saying that after this fight, he wants to face Dustin Poirier next at 170 pounds. Is that a fight that you'd be interested in making? I mean, at the end of the day, that's up to Dustin. Dustin has a lot of options, uh, you know, at 155. I don't know. Now, this past weekend, Islam Makhachev had a fantastic win in his typical dominant fashion against Bobby Green. Is he next in line for the winner of Gaethje versus Oliveira? Because I think that's what everybody's interested in. Listen, he, he's, he's in the, you know, he's in the conversation. Interesting stat for you. Bobby Green landed nine significant strikes against Islam Makhachev, which is the most that he's allowed in a single round in his UFC career. Interesting. I mean, this guy's as dominant as anybody. But I think the wild card here is Conor McGregor. You know, he was interviewed over the weekend by Severe MMA and said he wants to come back and face the champ. He wants to face Oliveira, who's currently the champ. Is that something that could happen this year? If Conor McGregor comes back later in the year, could he be next in line for a title shot? Obviously, he's big business. And if you're putting business first, that's obviously a big box office attraction. When Conor is able to come back, we'll see. You know, Conor's probably not going to be back till the fall, early fall. So we'll see, uh, we'll see who's where and what's what and how it lays out. Well, I don't believe he's in the top 10 of lightweight. But again, when we're talking about Conor McGregor, it's, it's a different animal. This is the most popular fighter that the sport's ever put together. Is it who's a possibility that he gets a title shot? Who's not in the top 10 lightweight, Conor? I don't think he is. I, I might be wrong. He's number nine. Number nine. Okay, so he's, he's just on the, on the brink of being in the top 10. But like, like yep. I said, Connor is a guy that draws big business. Like, is it a possibility that he gets thrust right into a title shot? I have no idea. We'll, we'll see what happens when he comes back. Who, who's got the title? Who does what? The, who has the title has a lot of say in who he fights, too. UFC 273 is next month in Jacksonville. Uh, there's a big bantamweight fight, title unification bout. Piotr Jan is the interim champion. Aljamain Sterling, the champion. And they're going to unify the titles. However, we've got a, obviously a, a big issue going on in this world right now, uh, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And many countries are starting to not allow Russian citizens to enter their borders. H- has that come into play at all with Pyotr Jan? And is there a backup plan if something precludes him from fighting on that date? No, not yet. We haven't faced that yet. Everything's been, been, been good so far for us. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like I tell you guys all the time. Just when you think the world's about to get normal again, it gets even nuttier. So we'll see how it works out. Well, you're not I mean, wrong you, on you that keep one. asking me questions like, will Conor McGregor fight for the title when he comes back in the fall? I don't know what's going on in the fall. When, 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 when the fall comes, we'll see what's happening. If Peter Jan cannot get into the country, I have no idea what's going to happen with Russia and all these other things. I don't know. All right, so let's fast forward to just two weeks from now, I think it is, or three weeks, with Alexander Volkov. His team is saying that he might not be allowed to fight because they've actually put a restriction in place. Uh, is, have you heard from his team? Yeah, we're actually trying to get him into, into England sooner so that he can be there and be ready to fight. Oh, so, so there's like a date that that's coming into play? There's what? There's like a date where that's going to be effective, so he could get in sooner kind of thing? I have no idea. I, listen, I, when, when things like this start blowing up, we start looking at potential problems and, and what, what possibilities are, and we, we try to get around it. We try to figure out how to, you know, look, well, if that's going to happen, let's get these guys into England earlier. And I know that we've been trying to get Volkov to leave Russia, and he hasn't wanted to. Okay, so it's on his end at the moment. Like, basically, the balls are in the air, but he could leave soon and, and save that 100%. And it seems like every time I interview you, I ask you about Hamza Shemaev. Do we have an update on him? Uh, let's see. What do we got from Hamza right now? Where is he? See him on there? 
Yeah, no, I got nothing for you. He, he had said that they're trying to line things up with Burns. Um, I had heard UFC 273 might be an option, but so nothing's in place right now with Shamayev? Yes, but I'm not going to announce it right now. <laughs> well, you just told me a minute ago that nothing was in place. Well, I, I missed it. I, I, I didn't see it up there. But when I mentioned uh, UFC 273, then you saw it suddenly. What's that? When I mentioned UFC 273, suddenly it, it entered your periphery. No, Eric Eric pointed it out to me. He's sitting right next to my, uh, a trusty little uh, social media guy. Okay, but nothing's finalized yet. You're just discussing something? Right. Exactly. Tomorrow, March 1st, Canada is losing a ton of restrictions. Full arenas are going to be back. Um, they're potentially going to be looking at uh, changing the laws of who's going to be able to come, come over in terms of vaccination status. Is the UFC starting to look at Canada as a viable location for an event this year? I haven't looked at anywhere other than the places are absolutely positively easy to get in and out of and, you know, have no issues. I, I'm not looking at anything right now. All right, so while we're on that subject, we know where UFC 273 is going to be. We know where UFC 276 is going to be. Where are UFC 274 and 275 going to be? Have we not announced that yet? Yeah, I'll, I'll wait till we announce it. How about some potential city that you guys are looking at? We, we, have, we have 274. Um, 275 is still up in the air. Are there a couple cities in the mix for 275 that you can let me know about? I don't know off the top of my head. I'm, right, I'm a bad interview today. <laughs> All right, well, do me one last favor. We're in the war room. Grab me something off the wall. If you want to be a good interview today, let's find something. Uh, find something. Let's give the people what they want. <laughs> you, you're always asking me about the future. Never, ever, ever, you know, in the history, since I've been alive, has the future been more uncertain than it is right now? And you keep asking me about the future. Well, I can ask you about I the past, but we know about, about the past. Saturday. The, the past is not a mystery. The future is a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> what about the past? No, it's not a mystery anymore. We know, what, we know what's happened in the past. So I've got to ask you about the future. The future is a mystery. No, let's talk about all right, future. Let's talk about Saturday. Okay. Saturday, March 25th in Las Vegas. <laughs> Colby Covington versus Masvidal. Do you have an if you didn't know, now you know that you're looking at for that particular card that uh, you can give me a sneak peek on? It's funny. Well, you know... We were just talking about the girls' fight because there's so much heat on that fight. You I was going to say, that's like Masvidal the... Don't like each other. Yeah, that's like Masvidal versus Covington Light. It's also from a, a teammates at ATT that had a big falling out. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's, I, I don't know if that's going to be, but we were definitely talking about that this morning. All right, so you can't give me one fight off the wall when we wrap this up. Jamaya versus Burns. All right, do we have a date for that? April 9th. April 9th. So is that the paper? That's Jacksonville, right? Am I, I believe so, correct? Yes. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jacksonville, right. Okay, great. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I'm sure the masses will be happy to hear that. It is not final in the works, correct? Thank you. All right. Thank you, Dana White. Always appreciate your time. UFC 273 this weekend. In the near future, Colby Covington, Jorge Mazadal, five-round main event. Always appreciate it. Have a good day, buddy. Pleased to be joined now by Colby Chaos Covington. He's in the main event of UFC 272 next week against Jorge Gamebed Masvidal. And he brought a little piece of Canada with him. You got the Bret Hart shades going on. I like it. You know, 
I am America's champ, but I love Canadians, man. I love what you guys stand for. We'll move on to the main event of, uh, of UFC 272. Actually, before we do, there's one question I, I've been meaning to ask you since your last fight. Uh, I, I was at your fight against Kamar Usman, and I watched the first two rounds over again. And to me, it looked like you were doing a lot of different things that we'd never seen you do before. You had more of an upright stance. You were switching stances quite a bit. And to me, it felt like it took you a while to get into your rhythm. And once you did, you started to get going. But what, what was the deal with those first two rounds? Was it kind of trying to find your footing with a new strategy that you hadn't used before? Yeah, it's a new strategy that we've been implementing, you know, over at Colby Covington Incorporated with my, you know, genius wizard of a coach, Cesar Carnero and Daniel Valverde and Charlie Weiss and Jonathan Lopez. We've been really trying to switch it up and, and coming out, you know, with a more cautious approach and, and, and more fakes and showing people different looks, you know, from both sides, you know, from Orthodox and from Southpaw and, and just mixing it up, you know. And once I found my group, once the third round hit, you know, I found my groove and I, I was able to pick him apart. You know, I dropped him hard in the fourth, almost had him finished. And I clearly won the, the third, fourth and fifth. So, you know, I, I won the, the last three rounds and, you know, I was winning the first. I won the first round. I was winning the second round. If you go back and look at that second round before he clips me, you know, you know, I stepped on a banana peel, but I clipped him with a jab and he stumbles. And when he stumbled back, I got a little bit overzealous, a little bit, you know, too impatient. And I rushed in thinking I'm going to get the finish. And he was able to clip me with the with the with the left hook. So, you know, he got lucky, you know, that he, he was able to clip me, but it didn't do a lot of damage. It was just like right on the temple, right on the right sweet spot. And, you know, that it sucks because I know that's what was in the judges heads. And that's why they wanted to give him the fight. But I feel like the body of the whole 25 minutes, I did more damage that fight and I won that fight. So, you know, you're going to keep seeing an ever evolving Colby Chaos Covington with my new team. And the best is yet to come next Saturday night on, pay, on pay-per-view. I'm going to expose journeyman Jorge Masvidal, you're going to see a new game plan you've never seen before. Now, I'm sure we'll see you fight Usman again, but what exactly was the strategy, as much as you're willing to share, in terms of the, the stance switching uh, and the more upright stance uh, with a little bit less shell defense than we've seen you do in the, pan, in the, uh, the past? Yeah, just kind of to come out, feel him out, see what he's looking to do. If he's looking to get in a brawl, I don't want to get into a brawl. You know, the, the first fight that I fought with him, it was just a brawl. It was not technical. I wanted to be more technical, pick my shots, land the harder shots. Like, honestly, in this, I was landing the calf kick on him, and then I broke my right foot in that fight, and that's what I stopped calf kicking. But I know that was hurting him, and that was doing damage. So even using that to fake to go to other strikes, I would have been able to catch him. But, you know, I obviously was, you know, compensated. You know, I broke my right foot in that fight, and, you know, I wasn't able to go back to that the rest of the fight. But I feel like if I fought him again, I'd be a lot – I'd have a better strategy. And, and I just – I have too many weapons now. I, I keep getting better every single day, Aaron. And, and I promise you, they haven't seen the best of Colby Chaos Covington yet. I'm, I'm ever-evolving. You know, I'm a blue-collar kid who loves to work hard. and I'm, I'm working on my game every day, so you're going to keep seeing new strides in it every time out. Uh, you've gotten better, and so is the champ, right? I mean, we saw, I think, the evolution of both of your games in that last fight. Uh, but moving on to – Jorge Masvidal. How did you meet Jorge Masvidal in the first place and become friends with him? And, and what was that dynamic like early on? So I met uh, Street Judas Masvidal after I got out of Division One college. I was looking to, you know, after I was a Division One All-American, got my college degree, I decided I wanted to go into mixed martial arts, try and make a better life for myself. So I was shopping around, going to a couple gyms, and I ran into him at a gym and uh, he just fell in love with me. He's like, dude, I, I mean, I've seen this street trash kid. He has no hygiene. He's putting his hat on sideways. He's just, he's a little thug, dude. And, you know, a little criminal felon. And 
And but you know, he, he was like trying to be overly nice with me, like, oh bro, like let's be best friends. Your wrestling is so good. Like I could use that so much in my career. You can help me so much. Like if you would come live with me and and just train with me every day and just just give you know yourself to me to help me you know achieve my dreams. And I was a nice guy. You know that's how I am. I come from a small town in Oregon, so I'm all about giving and helping and trying to create and do better for people. So you know I was all about it for the first you know five six years helping them out you know, train, helping his career, going to all his fights, putting my career on the back burner, essentially, just to help him out. So as soon as, I, you know, it's like the saying goes, Aaron, no one wants to see, or people want to see you doing well, but as soon as you're doing better than them, things change. And, and as soon as I started doing better than them and putting myself and my career first, that's when he got jealous and he turned his back on me and backstabbed me. So is he the reason why you moved to Florida in the first place? Uh, because I know he had mentioned in an interview that Woodley had had you come out to train with him in the past as well. No, not at all. You know, I came to Florida because of Dan Lambert. Dan Lambert's the reason I came out here. He created a great life for me at the beginning of my career. He gave me a, a place to live, you know, uh, some food money in my bank account so I could chase my dreams, you know, in the beginning of my career. But so, no, it, it has nothing to do with George. It's his master, Dan Lambert, the 70-year-old billionaire that, that, that created Florida for me. And, and I fell in love, you know, and Miami's embraced me. I'm Miami's son now. I'm the king of Miami. And I'm going to defend my King of Miami title next Saturday night, live on pay-per-view. What's your relationship like with Dan Lambert now? Do you talk to him at all anymore? He wishes me well every now and then. Uh, you know, we still have a good relationship. I still respect the guy. You know, he did he did some things for me. Uh, you know, I did a lot of things for him. I did a lot more for him than he did for me. You know, bringing him to the White House and letting him introduce to, you know, his favorite person, you know, Donald Trump. So I did a lot of things for Dan. You know, I repaid the favors that he did for me, but... You know, I always have respect for Dan. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, but, you know, I got to destroy his gym. I have to take them down one by one. It's Jorge Masvidal and then it's Dustin Poirier. They talk too much reckless things in the media, Aaron, and now they need to be held accountable for their words. Was it difficult for you to train at ATT towards the end of your tenure there because of the tensions in the gym? Were you kind of always looking over your shoulder and couldn't focus solely on what you were trying to do in terms of your training? Yeah, my man, it was so bad. It was so toxic. Like everybody in the gym was like teaming up against me. Like especially George and Dustin, they would try and come in together, talk shit across the gym. Like the energy was so bad in there. And I remember going into that first Usman fight, like I didn't even get to train because they would be screaming every time I would come into the gym. Oh, I'm going to kill you. Okay, dude, if you want to kill me, come kill me. Come do it. Let's see it. You guys are all talk. So, you know, it was bad, man. The energy was just really bad. And I'm glad I made the change, you know. We well at first we both got kicked out, but you know, there's only one person that went begging back, you know. George went begging back to his master Dan Lambert. I decided that, you know, I, I was better off away from them and, and I and I like my new team better. I upgraded my coaches and and that's why I'm evolving and keep getting better. So, yeah, man, it it was really bad. It was a very toxic environment and I sh honestly, I should have left a lot sooner than I did. Now, I don't know what the training dynamic was between the two of you. But I did go down the rabbit hole today and was on YouTube and found it's like a seven minute video of the two of you guys wrestling together in different settings and environments. And it's like it's one way traffic for you. Again, this is a, a single video that could have been compiled to make it look that way. But do you believe that there's a dynamic there where if it gets into wrestling exchanges, um, he's going to do everything in his power to try to avoid them because of your history in that regard uh, training with him? Yeah, Aaron, th this fight's played out many times behind closed doors, and, and he knows what I'm going to do to him. He can say whatever he wants to say to the media and try and hype himself up, but 
I'm a well-rounded mixed martial artist. He's, he's a one-trick pony, you know. He, he just comes out there, tries to explode on you and knock you out. I, I have a well-rounded uh, skill set. I, I can strike with the best of them. I can wrestle better than all the best of them. I'm the best wrestler in the division. So, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a mixed martial arts fight. This will be a mixed martial arts contest, and you'll see the number one mixed martial artist in the world putting his skill set and making this guy look like a complete amateur. And in previous years, when people had pitched this fight to you because you guys had that falling out, it didn't seem to interest you much because you called him a journeyman. You said he wasn't really on your level. Is this basically now just a money fight for you? Is that the way that you look at it? To be honest, you know, this, this is more a money fight for him than it is a money fight for me, Aaron. You know, he's got alimony payments to pay. So this is my choice, Aaron. I want to be here. He doesn't want to be here. He tried to avoid and find every excuse in the book to not fight me and, and work his way around of having to step in the octagon with me, you know. So this we've tried to make this fight happen for a couple years now, and he's re refused to fight. You know, his little scumbag cokehead managers have told the UFC, nah, nah, cool. You know, Jorge's star power is too big. He's not going to fight Colby, blah, blah, blah. He's not going to make Colby famous, blah, blah. Now he has no choice, Aaron. He, the only reason he's taking this fight is because it's the biggest paycheck he can get. And for you, we've heard of only basically two names that come out of your mouth, like, and probably three if we count Woodley, but over the last three, four years, it's been Masvidal, it's been Usman, and uh, it's been uh, Woodley. So where do you go from here? You know, should you get a win in this uh, main event of UFC 272? Who's in your crosshairs? If, if you were to put the champion aside since you fought him twice already, what do you think is that next fight that gets you back to a title? Yeah, Louisiana Swamp Trash, Dustin Soria. He talked a lot of reckless things to the media, man. I'm just trying to hold people accountable. I'm a man of my word. When I say something, I back it up, Aaron. Everything I've said, I talk the talk and I walk the walk. So I, I go in there and I, I handle my business. Dustin said it's on site with me. So he can name the site, name the location, name any stipulation he wants. The only stipulation I have is it has to be played out in front of the whole world. We don't have to make money. We can go fight in a park. We can go fight in your backyard. And But... It's just so funny because Dustin claims to be this family man, this good guy. Oh, if you're a family man, Dustin, why are you saying you won't fight me in the octagon, but you'll fight me in the streets and go to jail? Why would you want to leave your, your family behind and go to jail when I beat you up? But the only thing is, Dustin, if I fight Dustin, he's not going to jail. He's going in a coma. How does that help you in the welterweight division, though? Do you think it's because he's so highly touted in the lightweight division that that would carry over uh, to get you into a better position to fight for the time. I mean, you're already the number one contender based on the rankings, but how do you think that that helps you in the pecking order and welterweight to get back uh, in the cage with Usman? Because he keeps teasing that he wants to come up to welterweight. Dude, Aaron, we used to weigh on a scale. Dustin would weigh like 186, 187. I'd be like 183, 184. So he's a bigger guy than me. He weighs more than me on a scale. I'm just not a bully. I don't have to cut all that weight to, to have a weight advantage and, and, and feel like I'm a bigger fighter than people and have more power. I don't care. I fight at my natural weight. I don't have to cut weight. So it helps me because we're the same weight, and he's talked reckless to the media. This is a bigger fight than rankings, than weight classes. This is about settling a real fucking beef in a feud that needs to be played out. He's talked too much reckless stuff to the media. So he needs to be held accountable for his, his words. And I'm ready to set these actions aside and, and, and finish Louisiana Swamp Trash and that Jezebel wife. And finally, there have been rumblings in the past about Usman wanting to walk away at some point in time. Should that happen before you get another shot at him? Whoever they put in front of you to fight for the title, I'm guessing that that is of major interest to you? 
Oh, absolutely. A major interest. You know, I consider myself the undisputed champion right now. And I think a lot of people do. The people in Madison Square Garden saw that I won three rounds over Usman. So I am the undisputed champ. I'm not going to put it on the line with this journeyman, Jorge Masvidal. But, you know, I, I love the UFC and I want to fight the biggest and best fights in the UFC. So if he walks away, whoever they want to put on the line against me for that welterweight title, I'll be ready and I'll prove again why I'm the number one pound for pound fighter and the best welterweight in the world. All right, Colby. Well, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you as always. It's the main event of UFC 272, yourself and Jorge Masvidal, and it plays out in Las Vegas. Thanks so much for all of this, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Appreciate it, Aaron. Take care out there. Be safe, and, and, and God bless. Pleased to be joined now by the main event himself, Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. is in the main event of UFC 272 against Colby Chaos Covington. When I say the name Colby Covington, does it rub you the wrong way? Does does he irk you that much that when you hear his name, it, it bothers you? Yeah, in, in many different aspects. Yeah, man. You know, he's a charlatan, you know, and I really dislike what he brings into the future generations of fighting. I don't want young kids, 10, 11-year-olds that are into the sport already that are fighting, thinking that's a representation of us, and then you have to do that to sell pay-per-view because then – It'll just get worse and worse and worse, and we'll end up being like a very trash-related type of field, you know, where, where the only promotion will be talking about people's wives, people's kids, people's religion, people's country. Like, everything you don't have to do in a fight, this guy's doing it. You know, we're already going to fight, and if you were a fighter that people like tuning into, you wouldn't have to do all that talking. But since nobody gives a fuck about you, nobody has from the start of your career, and nobody's going to care about you even on a day that you perish and die and go to another place... He has to do all of this just to create that attention, but you don't. You don't have to do it. You just have to fight, and people have to see that you actually want to fight. Give it your all, and, and maybe you're not everybody's cup of tea in your personality, wise. Whoever this is watching this, but it doesn't matter. The chips will fall where they're supposed to. You just keep putting the hard work. You don't have to talk about a country like Brazil. It's a third world country, and say that they're filthy animals and things like that. You don't. You don't have to do that to sell pay-per-views. And then on top of that play the two-faced double-ass shit, like, I was going to lose my job, so I had to insult them. Get the fuck out of here, bro. You're, you're a fucking coward, bro. So I, uh, for many different reasons, his name irks me, you know, besides the fact that he didn't pay my coach the money that he owed him after my coach trained him from amateur all the way to winning that fucking cheesy-ass cheap interim belt. My coach trained him, was in that corner, so was I, and then guess what he did to my coach? Ripped him off. Didn't give him a cent for that damn fight, for that whole journey of taking him that he didn't pay nothing. Then when he finally had the chance to pay Guess what he didn't. So on many, on many different levels, this guy irks me, man. But never on the personal level, because it's all business in this fight game. All these motherfuckers mean the same shit to me. Um, I always knew that I wasn't getting into the sport to make any friends. So I, I, I'm not the one on video saying, oh, Jorge Masvidal is my best friend. He's the one on video saying that numerous times. Just like six months ago, this guy was saying I was his best friend, you know? So I, I know I'm also dealing with somebody who has multiple personalities and shit like that. So I can't take him seriously. Who is your best friend? If I, if I ask you, who's your best friend? Who is it? Uh, God Almighty, Jesus Christ is, is like my number one true best friend. But if we're talking about like on the physical realm, man, I, I got a couple great, great friends. I got a couple people that, that I've been there when I've been at my lowest, you know, and that have helped me get to my highest, that are always with me no matter what. Um, so, yeah, I got, I got some good people out there. I'm looking at one of them right now. I don't even need to know his name, but he knows who he is. Well, I'll throw out his name as your manager, Abe Kawa, but uh, <laughs> we'll continue yeah, to proceed. He's definitely one of my besties. Unless, unless it's a different guy you're talking about. No, he's definitely one of my besties. And ma mainly the reason why, you know, 
I love this dude so much is because uh, when nobody really saw uh, earning potential in me, this guy saw it to like another level. You know, he, he was actually mentoring me up, talking to me, doing things for me and, and guiding me in a lot of ways um, to get here. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't have to even say he knows by just us looking at each other, how many plane rides we caught to fucking middle of butt fuck nowhere to earn fucking shit money. For fucking doing all types of fucking odd jobs and MMA related, and fucking you know just setting us up up push for the bigger plan. We had a plan, but the plan started you know very grassroots. Um, and not a lot of people took a chance on me, man. This dude did, bro. And uh, I mean, shit. Not a lot of people I trust in this world. I know a lot of people in this world. There's not a lot of people I trust. He's one of them. Well, I've said this to a personally, and I don't want to talk about who the best manager in the game is or anything like that. But I think in terms of the best managed fighter, the fighter that I think has gotten the most out of having a manager is you. I think that he's, he looks out Definitely. for you more than I've seen other people look out for their fighters in terms of how they, how they make their next Definitely. move, if that makes sense. Definitely. definitely. Um, I mean, it, it's just crazy. It took like two years for me to sign with him because I'm very, I'm from Dade County. I'm from Miami, so I'm very cautious. Uh, you never take the first deal and you don't trust nobody. Those are things from Miami. You just get grown up top. So it, it took a while for me to sign with him. Then when I came to sign with him, I realized this guy lives five blocks from my house. What the fuck? Walking distance, you know? So uh, we started to get close. Our daughters are like best friends. So that brought us, he, they, they became close before me and him even got close like that. So it was like, oh, what are you doing this Saturday? My daughter wants to hang out. And then we just like very naturally and organic started hanging out, hanging out. And then we're starting to work all the time together. And, you know, um, we're like a yin and yang. He's got a lot of crazy ideas. <laughs> You know, I, I I sometimes have crazy ideas, but he's got a lot of crazy ideas and shit. And we just fucking get to chopping it up, and we're always in the lab. You know, we're always cooking up something to make some type of money. Yeah, when I was a kid, I went to the swap shop in Dade County. Now you never accept the first deal. I, I hear you there. <laughs> you know very well that you went to the swap shop, man. <laughs> so, uh, how did you meet Colby Covington? Like, how did your relationship with him start in general? Um, for American Top Team, I've always been like the recruiting class guy, you know, like athletes come in, I take them out to eat, I take them out to nightclubs, you know, just show them around South Florida. Dan Lambert's always, uh, to some extent or another, put me in that department, you know, and, uh, and I met Kobe like that, you know, and we had a couple similarities. We were both at the gym a lot, and I used to play poker a lot at the time, so I'd run into him at the casino, this and that, so the relationship just started like that, like, oh, shit, you play poker too, blah, 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 this and that. So he ends up breaking up with his girlfriend. He's living out in the streets like some fucking bum. And he breaks his hand in a pro fight. So he's got nowhere to go, no no, no way that he could earn capital. I have a place up at Coconut Creek, five minutes from the gym. I tell him, yeah, you come stay with me. Give me $300 a month, blah, blah, blah. And I never paid once, lived with me for like nine months. Ate off my plate, lived in my house. And and then you see the piece of shit that turned into, you know. Um, I never went public with this. He's the one that came out first public because he thought he could earn a buck by talking shit about me and then eventually getting a fight. Like, we didn't have to do all that. We're still going to get paid out whether we talked about each other's kids or not. We're still going to make money, you know? But it, it just shows to me what a piece of shit he is. And I can't wait for much food. I know respect is a big deal for you. And Michael Bisping and you had a pretty bad relationship at some point in time where you guys were jawing at each other. And he told a story after he had retired that he had to cover one of your fights as an analyst. And he basically walked up to you in the hallway and just said, hey, Jorge, how are you? Like, just like... In a casual way, and that kind of respect at that point in time had been restored between the two of you. Could you ever see a day where that kind of thing happens with you and Colby Covington, where you guys bury the hatchet and there's respect no. at some point? 
No, no, no. And, and to touch on the Michael Bisping thing, um, what why it was so like meaningful to me is uh, I was getting ready to fight Darren Till in Darren Till's home country, Bisping's home country as well. And I'm in this hallway out of nowhere, right? Just walking. I'm cutting weight. I'm like already like three, four pounds from my weight. You know, it's like a couple of days before the scrap. Um, I hadn't fought like in a year. And I look up and guess what? I see coming with three other fucking goons that look like they should be in a fucking British movie. All huge guys. English dudes coming right behind him. It's fucking Michael Bisping, right? And I'm like, oh, shit, man. Am I about to fucking scrap with it? What's going to happen? I have no idea really what's going to happen in my mind. I'm like, I'm just going to play by ear. And Mike passes by me and he just goes, what's up, man? And it was like a general, what's up? Like, hey, what's up? And he just kept walking. And that to me meant a lot, you know, um, that he didn't try to fuck with my mind before the fight, that he didn't try to intimidate me, you know, he was there with a bunch of big dudes. All that to me, like, resonated, like, all right, man, th- th- maybe we had a lot of differences. We didn't see eye on eye, eye a lot of things. But that was mad cool of him that, that he did that for me, that he didn't fuck with me right before I go and, and headline this main event in England, in his home country. He could have made that into a complete shit show, and he didn't, and I respected that a lot. Um, shortly after that, we're both, like, I forget where we're either, yeah, I think Chile or I, f- I forgot where we were for another UFC event. Yeah, and then... uh. We got to spend some more time there and freaking like uh, talk about like the you know slight differences and this and that and and you know we're kind of like a lot of the same person you know me and Bisping you know we're kind of straight shooters and don't take too much BS you know so uh, it, it was good to bury that hatchet you know now with Kobe the only hatchet I bury with him is in this fucking neck. I wonder if Michael was uh, was being nice to you to mess with you. You just never know with Bisping. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was very genuine. I mean, he he could have he could have fucking tried to get inside my head that day, you know, or, or fuck with me, because it was like two, three days before the fight, something like that, you know. So he definitely could have been an asshole about it, but no, he he's, he wasn't trying to mess with me at all. He was just trying to give me my space and pieces. Just, we ran into each other in the same hallway, you know, and uh, the way he acted was pretty damn cool. You've had pretty much an obsession with trying to get back in there with Kamaru Usman. You've fought him twice in the past. Yeah. Uh, a win with, that's like your end goal right now, is to get that shot once again. Usman's talked about retiring uh, in recent years. If he were to walk away, would you find that your career could not really have as much fulfillment as you would have liked to get out of it if you never get another opportunity to face him and prove that you can beat him? A hundred percent. I could see maybe Usman retiring or not, but as long as I'm, I'm winning and I'm doing my thing, I can never see him turning a fight down with me. And I'll explain just a, a couple of things. He, he's made the most money of anybody he's fought times like five with me, one. And two, he has two victories over me, right? It's a safe thing to do. Go for a third fight, make the most money you're ever going to make. Why not, right? So I could see him retiring and coming back. I, uh, I'll never get the type of sleep I want unless I take that belt from Usman's hands. Um, it's not nothing personal. It's just he's a guy that only ever knocked me out in my whole career. I got 50-something fights. I've never been knocked out. This is a, there's a KO there in my loss, but I, I, I want everybody to go look at that fight. Never got knocked out in 2008. They say I, I got dropped, and as soon as I got dropped to my butt, the referee stood in and stopped it. I was sitting on my butt like this, ready to keep going. I got dropped, I sat up, and then they stopped it. So that's not a knockout. Usman knocked me out, you know. So that's definitely something that will never sit well with me. I want to get back in there with him and give it right back to him. And is this fight with Colby, final question, as much about that as it is with settling this grudge? Is it more about getting that number one next to your name so you're first in line in the welterweight division? Politics. That's all it is. That it happens to be this charlatan piece of shit. It's awesome, you know. It's just a little cherry on top. But it's all about getting that number one ranking. And it's all about doing what I set out to do since a moment. I got down on my knees and prayed to God and said, "Please help me so I could glorify Your name at all times." 
and just help me get to that belt. You know, so it's still the same thing. It's to get the belt. That's all that matters to me. Be the number one at my weight class, no questions asked. He's coming for that number one spot. It's Jorge Masvidal. He's in the main event of UFC 272 against Colby Covington. Appreciate your time as always. Look forward to doing this with you again soon. Oh, we'll be doing this after um, while Kobe's in uh, intensive care unit on Monday morning. We could definitely get on the horn again and just, you know, talk about me beating his ass and shit. I'm pleased to be joined by Thiago, the Pitbull Alves, one half of one of the greatest welterweight title fights of all time at UFC 100 against GSP, and now a champion in bare-knuckle fighting championship. And from what I understand, Mike Perry is uh, very much in your crosshairs. Why do you want to fight Mike Perry next? Uh, I think we're we're trying to bring you know BKFC to the mainstream. Uh, Mike Perry is a very well-known fighter. Uh, he has a lot of hype behind him. I think that will be the fight, you know, probably the biggest fight in BKFC history, you know, to to make that next uh, step. It'll definitely bring uh, BKFC to the mainstream. What made you decide to get into BKFC and uh, switch from mixed martial arts to bare knuckle boxing? Uh, a, a couple of different things, you know. At first, it was the challenge. Uh, you know, I've been involved in, in UFC and, and mixed martial arts for a very long time. I'm proud to say I was part of the golden era, you know, of mixed martial arts. Uh, and now, like with BKFC, that you know became popular in 2018, uh, it was the first, you know, uh, probably like the fastest growing combat sport, you know, in in the country right now. Uh, it was exciting for me to be a part of something that is starting out, you know, and maybe bring that uh, to the mainstream as we we're planning to do right now so the challenge you know and also the money didn't hurt and uh just got purchased by triller they bought a majority sh uh share in bkfc and i know they've got the triller uh triad uh competitions is that something you're interested in trying as well as uh if you could do a crossover since it's the same company is that something that you want to get into as well absolutely and i think it was a great move uh, by both organizations you know uh it, it kind of uh, kind of mix and you know, I kind of match uh, pretty much. Uh, you have the square circle and then you have the triangle. Uh, you have Bernacle, you have MMA gloves. So uh, I think it'll be a, a good match. You know, we can definitely bring uh, a lot more opportunity for the fighters out there to compete. It seems like fighters do have a lot more opportunity these days. You see all the different bare-knuckle organizations. Uh, there's some crossover into boxing that some fighters have been able to do. You've got multiple MMA promotions starting up. Uh, is it a good time to be a fighter? Is it especially a good time to be a free agent if you end up doing good things with a major promotion to be able to explore the market? I believe so. You know, I think competition definitely got more step you know, than what it used to be. Uh, uh, you have a lot more fighters you know, from all over the country that you know, want to be involved in this business right now. But if you're in it right now, you definitely have a lot more option than, uh, uh, you know, I'll say five to ten years ago. Do you think that the UFC being on ESPN and it becoming more of a mainstream sport has kind of raised all of the different promotions? That, that fighting as a whole, combat sports, has grown as a result of the mainstream uh, picking up on mixed martial arts? Absolutely. You know, UFC is, you know, what we call the NFL of mixed martial arts, you know, uh, I've been around, you know, a bunch of different organizations since I left UFC and the way that they run, you know, their operation, there's nothing like it, you know, uh, but I think at the end of the day, we'll all benefit, you know, from being involved in that combat sport spectrum. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you have a lot more well-known fighters than there used to be a couple of uh, years ago, you know, on the mainstream. And uh, I think finally, we're not there yet, but we're finally getting the respect that we deserve. We've got a big main event uh, at UFC 272 next weekend, and I know these are two people you're very familiar with from working at ATT. We've got Jorge Masvidal, Colby Covington. Give me a little bit of background on this bout and why you think there's such bad blood between these two guys. 
You know, it's interesting because we got Kobe right out of college. Uh, Kobe started his professional career at American Top Team, and, you know, him and Masvidal became really good friends. Uh, Kobe helped you know, Masvidal improve his wrestling, and Masvidal helped uh, Kobe improve his striking. Uh, they had a really good relationship, you know, uh, along the way when they start competing at the same weight class, you know, things change. I don't know the whole you know, a uh, background story. Uh, I don't know uh, how the whole uh, blood, but uh, I mean, bad blood came about. But you know, uh, I'm George Masvidal team. You know, I'm American top team. I'm gonna root for my boy because it's been an ATT longer than Kobe, anyways. But yeah, man, they don't really like each other. They really don't like each other. You know, and it'll be a, a, a hell of a fight for all the fans out there. Well, you're you know not either of these guys. And you're also not Dustin Poirier, but you are in the gym all the time. You work very closely with a lot of different fighters you coach. What was the atmosphere like when you had all of those guys training at ATT at the same time? You had the bad blood with Colby, uh, with Poirier and, and Masvidal, and Colby would walk into the gym. Do you think it was difficult for him to train under those circumstances? You know, uh, we're such a, a big gym. We have, you know, at least uh, nine striking coaches, you know, uh, five grappling coaches. So we're able to, you know... Uh, uh, have guys training at different times because I think we're one of the first teams in the world that will have teammates fighting all the teammates uh, without being for a belt. You know, so we're able to uh, uh, because it's such a big facility, we're able to just have guys there at different times so we don't, you know, uh, end up with a, a fight, you know, outside of fight night. Yeah, you know, it's very rare to see a welterweight non-title fight headline a pay-per-view unless you watch UH, uh, UFC 85, which had a main event of. Matt Hughes, who is Matt Hughes' opponent in that one? Tiago the Pitbull Alves. <laughs> <laughs> See, a lot of people talk about how these pay-per-views are always headlined by title fights, but back in, like you called it, the golden era, there were a lot of different pay-per-views where you just had big fights uh, that weren't for, yeah. for titles. There were three-round fights at the time. Uh, what was it like to be part of that and to headline events uh, with no belts on the line like, uh, like you did back then? Uh, it was amazing. Uh, you know, I, I remember when I first moved to South Florida, uh, seeing Matt Hughes fight against, uh, it was his second fight against Frank Treg. You know, when he got a, a low blow and then he was able to come back and just pick him up, you know, run across the, the cage and dump him. Uh, I remember we were watching that fight at the fighter's house, you know, me and a bunch of other guys in the same situation. I was just fresh out of the boat, just here trying to make the dream happen, you know. And then a few years later, you know, I'm faced with this opportunity fighting Matt Hughes. Uh, you know, now that I look back after, you know, uh, after the fact, it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. You know, I have no complaints. Uh, I reach pretty much everything that I set out to reach in the sport. You know, and right now I'm having fun and I'm having fun. Uh, BKFC, you know, it's a very, uh, appealing, uh, a new form of combat sport. You know, uh, I think it could be a gentleman's, uh, uh, combat sport. You know, everybody got two hands, so everybody could just take their shirt off and, and knuckle up, you know, and, and resolve things that they resolve, you know, of course, in a, in a, in a sport way, you know, in a more respectful way. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was amazing to be part of this golden era. And now, you know, I think I'm in the right time at BKFC also where I'm able to, you know, still be in and still be very effective and help grow uh, the brand as well. I think there's a lot of misconceptions around bare-knuckle boxing. You know, a lot of people think it's, like, barbaric or something along those lines because there's no gloves involved. But I would actually argue it's a lot easier to suffer a bad injury in MMA with padded gloves than it is with no gloves because when you're hitting with a bare-knuckle, you're actually hurting your hand along the way. And over the course of three rounds, you're going to have less and less power. Uh, do you agree with that? I mean, you've, you've competed in both. But do you think that it's a lot easier to get injured in MMA versus bare-knuckle boxing? 
A hundred percent. You know, uh, you kind of, you have a limit of fight, you know, with Brian Aqua. You throw hands, uh, you know, you have a, a little bit of dirty boxing, but with MMA, there's so many variables. Uh, and most of your injuries happen, you know, and, and between the, the, the grappling exchange to the striking or the striking exchange to the grappling, you know, that, that in between of changing levels, you know, that's when uh, you, your foot get caught, you know, your knee get caught in something. That's usually when most of my injuries happen, that most of the injuries that I see happen in the gym every day. So not having to deal with elbows, knees, you know, and shin to the face is definitely a big plus. You know, when you fight Bernaco also, uh, you're you prone to a lot more lacerations just because, you know, it's bones against, you know, skin, especially when you have a baby skin like me, you know, you get cut very easily. But uh, from the neck down, you know, you're 100% healthy. Uh, your hands might be swollen for about two, three weeks. But besides that, you know, it's a lot easier on your body for sure. Well, you said the neck down, but I, I imagine you've absorbed some pretty bad body shots in, uh, in bare knuckle. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think you could probably get injured to the body in, in that sport. Uh, you, you can, of course, of course. But, you know, believe it or not, the, the main focus uh, for the guys is still the face. So uh, you're going to get cut. You know, might not get as many body shots because, you know, as you get sweaty, you're able to just, your hand kind of slides through the body a little easier. So uh, the focus still mainly, uh, uh, a lot of the guys, what we call, do uh, head hunting. But, you know, you can definitely hurt somebody to the body for sure. If you could take one fighter from the UFC or Bellator, who do you think would be the best in bare-knuckle boxing? From Like, if you could just take anybody outside of BKFC right now that's in a major MMA promotion, who do you think would be the best? Uh, you know, uh, a good teammate of mine, uh, Santiago Pozzanibio, I think he'll be phenomenal, Bernaco, uh, just because he has a very good... Uh, uh, boxing game you know he's always in and out he's able to meet you in the middle sometimes he played that long game where he just chipping away with a very accurate jab so i think he'll do a lot of damage in bernaco i think ponzinibbio should go into acting like i think he would play an amazing villain in a movie he's one of the nicest guys but he's just got that face where like you just would never want to mess with that guy i just feel like he could he could go into the movies and do a good and probably make more money than he could in combat sports has he thought about doing that about acting uh, you, you know, it, that could be something, you know, he's one of the broadcasters for the, the, the Spanish uh, no, uh, ESPN. So uh, he has a, a, a foot in there, definitely a foot in the door for sure. Well, tell Ali, he needs to hire somebody to just do Hollywood. Like they need a dominance <laughs> MMA management that, that shops you guys around for movies. I feel like there's a lot of money to be made there, especially with, with Santiago. I feel like Santiago, again, you put him in like a TV show as a villain, he'd be very convincing. I, I agree. I agree. He definitely have uh, many talents, and I will, we'll, I'm going to talk to him so we can try to explore all of it. <laughs> all right. Well, I like it. Uh, what would the timetable be to go against Mike Perry if they were going to book that? Uh, how you know what, what's left on your contract for BKFC, and what are you looking to do with them long term? Uh, I'm, you know, uh, right now we're in a process of negotiation. Uh, you know, I want to see. Uh, I definitely want to stay with the company. You know, I think we have a lot of potential. Uh, we definitely can help each other grow. I think since I move. You know, made my move from UFC to BKFC. Uh, uh, Bernardo Boxing became cool. You know, since I joined in, you, you see a lot of the bigger names, you know, coming in. A Chad Mendes, you know, Page, or Mike Perry itself. And a few other guys, you know, before I joined in, there was a little bit of stigma. After I got in, did the damage that I did, became the champion. People saw that it's just a different uh, uh, form of fighting. You know, it's not any less or, or, or any more brutal than, you know, what we used to with MMA. And uh, I'm just excited, man, to see where, you know, uh, my future holds with the company. Uh, I know I'm going to retire as a champion. So uh, hopefully by June, July, me and Mike Perry are able to knuckle up. 
And without giving away too much, I know you're not in Jorge's corner or anything, but if you were to come up with a blueprint to beat Colby Covington for Jorge Masvidal next weekend, what would it be? Uh, just stick and move, you know, uh, uh, be very good at wrestling defense. He can't be a stationary target because that would just be easier for Colby to, you know, uh, go for his takedowns. But uh, use his striking a lot, use uh, uh, footwork a lot, you know, and whenever he engaged, be brutal with elbows and knees. I think uh, that would be a good, you know, uh, key to beat Kobe. All right, Chiago, it was a pleasure catching up with you. It's always great to speak with a legend of the game like yourself. Uh, all the best. Look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. They call him Big Mouth, and that Big Mouth has been full of healthy foods over the last month as he cuts down to welterweight to take on Alex Oliveira. Has that been the hardest part about this particular weight cut? Uh, no, I'm sure the water intake anything else. It's a lot of water. I used to drink liquor, but it's all right. It's cool. <laughs> when was the last time you stepped on a scale of 170 pounds? Uh, it's been a minute. It's been a minute, but it'll be fun to do it this time, right? Put in the work, diet right, everything comes in smooth, see how it goes. I imagine that for you, this is something that you recognize a lot of other fighters that are around your size in general do, right? I mean, cutting down to 170 pounds, I'm sure there are a lot of welterweights that probably walk around heavier than you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know, these guys cut a lot of weight. I don't know how they do it, but these boys, they tend to do it and they rehydrate pretty well too. So props to these guys. You've had a lot of success at middleweight. So why was this a priority for you? I don't think it was a priority, but it was definitely something I wanted to try I don't have that many priorities in life. I got a kid, and occasionally the dog's the priority too, but everybody loves him, so he gets what he wants. <laughs> and the shoe collection. I imagine the shoe collection is something of a priority? Yeah, it's more of a hobby, you know, <laughs> very fun hobby at that. <laughs> the co-main event, there was a replacement that uh, filled in. He's actually a label mate of yours, so to speak, from uh, KO Reps, Hanato uh, yeah. Maicano. I, I suggested to Dana White that you face uh, Rafael Dos Anjos at 170 pounds. Was that of any interest to you? Did it cross your mind? Um, bro, you know me, trailblazer, big mouth. I'm down for anything, any scrap in the world, I'll take it. Any weight that I can make, if I can make heavyweight, I'll fight heavyweight. Maybe extra pizza, a lot less uh, salads and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm down. Do you expect your next fight to be at 185 pounds? Kind of a short notice thing. I mean, in a picture perfect world, I'd be that guy. <laughs> so yeah, I hope so. You know what I mean? There's a couple guys up there I'd love to step in last second for it and uh. Razzle dazzle, you know. Are there some matchups you have your eye on in particular? Ah, I got my I got my eye on every time a, a eighty five fight pops up that's somewhere close to a name or eighty uh, ranking. I'm paying attention. One guy that's been in your crosshairs is Sean Strickland. I know you don't like talking about this guy, but is that a fight that you would take whenever it's offered to? You? Like I said, I got a lot of guys in that thing. If I watch them fight, you know, there's a lot of fights that I take. You know, I love a guy that likes to strike a little bit. So, <laughs> but what if they called you and said in three weeks we've got a welterweight fight for you? Do you think you'd be able to turn that around? Just depends how much whiskey and and uh, burgers I had the day before they called me. To be honest with you, uh, if I had too many whiskey and burgers, that's gonna be kind of hard to make. But if I've been eating semi clean, I can do it. What has your diet been like for this? How much has it changed? Uh, just been consistent on the Icon meals. And then uh, I did uh, look out for the tag. I had to tag him so I don't say the name wrong. But uh, I got some guys out in Texas that I actually got from Eric out Extreme. They uh, hook it up with a uh, 100% grass-fed beef. So I've been using some of that. I've been using my barbecue sauce from both valleys. So I've been living a good life. I really can't complain too much. I've been having steaks and stuff like that until it got time to a little crunch down and 
you know, they got a system. So I just follow the system. I have to show you the paperwork. I just throw a little hot sauce on there. I'm good to go. So it's just leaner meats. Is that basically what this, what the, the big changes? Uh, leaner meats. I mean, I started cooking lately too. So the leaner meats is pretty nice to cook a little easier to cook. Tastes real good. My son likes it. So yeah, it's been nice. So the diet hasn't been like anything, you know, that's over the top or, or that much different from how, what you normally consume. You're probably just consuming less of it. Is that, I guess, what the key is? No, no. It's been a lot more cleaner. Normally, I would eat cheeseburgers, uh, prison spreads, uh, fried foods. You know what I'm saying? Like, I go out to Jack in the Box a lot. You know what I'm saying? I go wherever I can go to get something to eat at that's quick and fast and tastes good and is greasy. That's usually where I go. But... I've been eating a lot of Icon meals, which is uh, meal preps. So, you know, it's been really good. Uh, I don't really prefer the fish unless I'm close to the fight. So, you know, I still eat my steaks, like I said, but, you know, chicken here and there. They got these little slider meals. Uh, I have a hamburger mix-up. So instead of it actually being a cheeseburger, it's like the hamburger particles, you know what I'm saying, all mixed together in a little bowl. So I enjoy that meal a lot. Probably eat that like two times a day. So do you feel like your post-fight meal after this fight is going to be more gratifying than any post-fight meal you've had? And you're in Vegas. You can pretty much pick your poison. Do you have something in mind for after the fight? Yeah, I think I'll do a little safe team outing at a steak restaurant where I can just, you know what I mean, kind of like get like an enclosed room so I don't have to worry about being around too many people so we can still be, you know, mindful of the restrictions of COVID and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I plan on having a good steak after weigh-ins, after I rehydrate, of course. I've heard you're a well-done guy. Is that true? Yeah, I like my steak well done when I'm cooking it myself. But if I got to go somewhere else and eat it, you know what I mean? I'll I take it how it come. Plus, you know, they say the blood is good for the nutrients. And, you know, whatever it takes to be good in the fight. But when I get back home, I'm going to cook it all the way through. <laughs> so when you say you'll take it however it's done, if you go into a steak restaurant or steak joint, they'll just say, like, you just give it to me however you want to make it? I'm just telling them, you know, Cook it as much as you can without boshing it. That's what I like to tell them. Cook it as much as you can without boshing it. And they usually bring me back a pretty nice steak that I can't complain with. All right, I like the sound of that. Uh, last time I interviewed you, you didn't have much to say, even though you were big mouth. I, I feel like you had a bit of a falling out with the media, and uh, you're getting a little bit back on our side. What was it that we, we were saying, or the way that you were uh, being covered that rubbed you the wrong way? I don't think it was the media. I just think, you know, overall, my people wanted me to shut up. So I just shut up for a little bit, but... I beat up a couple trolls. I showed them I can grapple a little bit in a jiu-jitsu match. I took a major headbutt. So I think they got a little sympathy for me. So I could talk a little bit more now. I just got to be smart with what I say. Because if I say something wrong, they be back on my head. And I got to respect my people out there. You know what I'm saying? I enjoy the way that you've been courting your suitors. You know, at least the people that are trying to challenge you, they're getting a free flight out of the deal, a nice hotel. I think that that's yeah. a very kind way of you to uh, to treat those that that believe that they can put you know can can do something do harm to you. I, I think that that's a very diplomatic way of of settling your differences. I mean, it's a little misconstrued. I don't necessarily just pay for your flight. You know what I mean? It's like I pay for your hotel room, then I still put your card on there for incidentals, just like the UFC would do. But you take care of yourself to get to me, and you really feel like you can do what you do. I give you an opportunity to make your money back if you can do what you say you're going to do. But don't be coming over here with some collegiate wrestling like I'm going to take you down. You probably are. Just don't get tapped out. And if we do MMA, don't get that right hand on your face and we will be okay. But lately it's the left kick like a spam. Blam, blam, blam. I kind of thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and I heard you say that depending on what gym you're at that day, that's like basically the kind of workout that they're going to get with you. So if they show up to your boxing gym, they're going to get the hands. 
And if they show up to your jujitsu gym, they're going to get the gi. So, I mean, it's kind of a pick your poison situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I try and, like, narrate them to the right spot if that's where they want to go. But, yeah, I mean, next guy who really wants to wrestle, I might have to just meet him at the wrestling spot. You know what I'm saying? See what mindset Mike got to say about it. But all work is good work. So I'm just trying to get better. You know what I mean? And at the same time, I'm trying to get people to understand that there's levels to the game. You know, even though I, I may not be the greatest in the world, but, I mean, you bums can't mess with me. So, you know, just imagine what some of these other guys might do to you that ain't got the type of personality I got. It might really break your arm or something. I ain't that type of guy, though. I'm smooth. I'm nice. What kind of gym would I have better success against you at? Would it be like the Pokemon gym, a basketball gym, uh, like squash courts? Uh, if, if, if you thought that I might have a chance against you in some sort of gym, which one would it be? Man, I never underestimate anybody. So, you know what I mean? I'm going to let you pick your poison and I'm going to do my <laughs> best to, to bring my best and then uh, see if I can beat you at your own game. That's kind of my kind of my thing. I like to beat people at their own game. I might be able to beat you at horse. Are you good at horse? Basketball horse? Skateboard horse? Yeah, no, basketball horse. horse. Skateboard horse. I don't even know what that is. You'd probably smoke me in that, but basketball horse. Uh, yeah. Uh, I doubt it, but <laughs> we can give it a try. <laughs> All right. Well, next yeah, time I'm in Texas, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up on Instagram. <laughs> I'll hit you up on Instagram next hit time I'm up. in Texas. <laughs> yeah, hit me up. Hit me up. It's a big state. Make sure you come to uh, Funky Town or Houston. Uh, so yeah, so, yeah if I'm in Austin, you're not going to drive out to me, to me or anything along those lines. Nah, I ain't got no friends in Austin. At least that I that I could think of off the top of my head. So Joe Rogan, go Joe Rogan lives in Austin. Buddies. That's true, but you know Joe's a busy man, and I ain't got I can't be messing up Joe's time just to be you know what I mean dishing and dabbing <laughs> in some horse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Joe, I'm in town playing horse against some Jewish MMA reporter. Can I jump on your show afterwards and you know make yeah. make the most of my trip and show you how I cook a steak all the way done? <laughs> yeah, I don't think Joe's all about that. <laughs> I don't think Joe's about about well done life with steaks. I feel like he 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 likes it to still have something of a pulse. Yeah, I mean we can we could take a slither of each other's steaks and see, you know, what I'm saying what piece of the rules we might be missing. <laughs> well, it's nice to have the old big mouth back for an interview. I appreciate you. Uh, best of luck against Cowboy Oliveira this weekend uh, at welterweight, and look forward to seeing what's next for you. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. I'm gonna go drink a liter of water right quick so I don't fall behind. Appreciate y'all. The main event of UFC 272 is based around some bad blood at American Top Team, but we've got another bad blood at American Top Team bout on this card. It's Maria Agapova taking on uh, Marina Moroz. You're still training at American Top Team, right, but a different location? Yeah, it's a different location. I train in ATT Sunrise right now with Roger Kral. That's, uh, Sunrise is a very beautiful part of Florida, so it's, uh, you're lucky to be there for sure. And uh, I know that you had trained with Marina before for about a, about a year. Is that right? Yeah, like year and a half, maybe already two years ago. No, maybe year, year, yeah, year ago. Were you friends with her at all outside of training, or was it just strictly uh, training environment? Like we was friends when I just came to America. I don't speak English. I don't know no one, and she kind of became my first friend in ATT. Because she was speaking Russian too, and she was helping me in the first when I just came. So, and a lot of people telling me in ATT that she's not really a good person, but I just want to be friends with someone because I don't know no one. I don't know language. I don't know anything. And she was explaining me how things work. She was helping me with diet. She just was helping me. Like, and we was friends, but after I started getting better, like fighter, I signed contract to the UFC and she changed. 
Why do you think that is? I mean, wouldn't you want to have a training partner that's getting better, that's going to make you better each day? Uh, like, I was getting better each day, but it seems like she was not like it, because she was like me when I was not in UFC, when I was poor, but when I, like, get UFC fight, get all this money, she already wasn't so happy about it, you know? Like, she trying to help me and grow, but I think she was doing it just to feel better, you know? Some people, they, like, making better when they help someone miserable, you know what I mean? <laughs> they feel that they're better, and I think that's the reason why she was helping me, because she just want to feel better than me, and after I become better, she already stopped liking it, and she trying to mess me up in ATT, and... We stopped being friends after this. After I see that she's trying to mess me up, trying to set me up, I stopped being friends with her. I even stopped saying hi to her. And after I left, like, we was cool in gym. We just don't say hi, don't say anything. We just work and ignore each other. But after I left, she started talking shit. That's what happened. Yeah, and a lot of it, I, I heard an interview you did with James Lynch, and you talked about how, um, you had gone off a medication that you were taking that, and as a result of that, you kind of lost a little bit of control of yourself. So tell me a little bit about like, what happened from your perspective. That's not only medication. First, I was terribly knockout in UFC. That was my first knockout in my life. And after this, I was bringing to emergency room and that was very big shock and stress for me. After this, I was gone through surgery. And all this time I was out of my medication. So it was big stress for me. And after like my friends set me up in ATT, they become manipulator team with Marina trying to set me up together. Like people do terrible stuff to me. Like they broke my, you know, like when I have surgery, I have this brace for leg. One day I come to gym. I, I was leaving in my locker. I was didn't close it because I think we all teammates. We believe each other. But one day I come. I open my locker and my brace for leg was broken. And you know, just someone break my leg. Like they trying to hurt me. They was bullying me. And because of this, I just became paranoid because you don't know what expect from people. You came. They're like, hi, Mashka, how are you? And you turn away and they put knife on your back. That's what's happening. And I just became paranoid because of all this. And I was don't believe in anyone. And in moment when I get to hospital, I have terrible paranoia. I was thinking that people trying to kill me. Like literally, it wasn't funny. It wasn't cool. It wasn't funny. It was scary. Like after I realized that they don't want to kill me, they just want to hurt me so bad to make me pull out from fights. But in that moment, I was thinking they all want to kill me. Because, you know, I'm alone. I don't have friends. I don't have no one. And when a lot of people at the same time attacking you, that feels hard. That feels hard. And I, I actually was out of my medications. And, yeah, happens what happens. I a little bit go crazy. But that's fine. <laughs> I was in some dark spot, but I get better. And now I'm better. Now I'm working. Like, I have to be back on my medications because in hospital doctors saying me that I can't be out of medications at all. Like, I have to all my likes stuck with it. But, you know, at least I'm happy that I'm not in hospital anymore. I saw people in hospital who's there forever. They never get better. They never release. They just stuck in there for years. 
and I'm happy I'm not person like this. I can live in my life, making my money. Yeah, sometimes I have emotional problems, but I'm working with it already much better than I was before. But I still have some emotional problem, and it is what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I have uh, anxiety disorder, so I, I can relate on some level. But uh, they all, they often tell you, you know, if you take medication for it, you have to either go off slowly or not go off it at all. Otherwise, it can have effects. So is it like a mood? I, I don't mean to pry into your medical situation, but is it like a mood disorder of some sort? Mm, yeah, I don't want to say anything about my disorder. That's my and my doctor. You know, for real, that's no one. No one should know about this disorder at all. But this come up because Marina gives a shitty interview to make me look like drug addict person. I wasn't drug addict person. I just have my emotional problems. That's it. And I think all fighters do. It just, you know, it was no one business. And because her interview it just come up and I feel very bad. You know, it's my and my therapist problem. It's not people problem. Especially in my country, like... People treat emotional problem and mental illness very bad. So I really don't want no one know that I have these issues. And, you know, now everyone know. And, you know, it's just shitty. It's mm -hmm. shitty. Well, like, I mean, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something that a lot of people go through life with. So um, I'm sorry to hear that, uh, that it is stigmatized in, in Kazakhstan. Um, now, with what Marina was saying, how much of it, if any of it, was true at all? Mm, you know, like everything, like some some facts was really little bit truth. Only drugs, only one thing. I really doing drugs, but this is medication. Like doctor prescribed me these drugs, so I really kind of drug addict. But I do this for my healthy to stay okay, and that was true that I doing drugs. But this is medications. I not doing heroin. I not doing all this like terrible drugs I doing only my medications to stay healthy and this is true all other things that about I treating someone with a knife like doing some hearing and all this stuff you know we have USADA USADA come and can check me every time every time every moment they can come and check and no one time they not found any drug in my system any drug they found only prescription drug and prescription I allowed to take because doctor prescribed me and you know, if I threaten someone with a knife, really, in ATT, it's cameras everywhere. Every corner have cameras. Do you think they don't have video how I will threaten someone with a knife? Or maybe someone else sees this? No. No one sees this. No video with this. Nothing happens. And imagine what happens to me if I will be in America really threaten someone with a knife. Like, they literally deport me to Kazakhstan, like, kick me out from UFC. If I really did something like this, like, my life gonna be gone. But, you know, and I'm shocked that everyone sees this. Everyone knows that she's lying and no one say anything about it. And That's kind of arrest records are public so they, they would be able to find that out if there was something along those lines yeah if i really threaten someone with a knife or kick out door in the gym i will be arrested for it long time ago they have cameras there in every corner they have cameras everywhere in att everything recorded because of course there is like we do an MMA, there's pretty dangerous sport and they want to make sure like nothing happens in their facility and there's cameras everywhere. 
I just, if I really threaten someone with a knife, they already have this video and they give it to police, police deport, you know, it will be already different if I really threaten someone with a knife, kick out doors and everything. Yeah, I was emotional maybe, but I never hurt no one. Now, before the Shanna Dobson fight, it seemed like a lot of these things were happening. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you were the biggest favorite in UFC history, I believe, to lose a fight against Shanna Dobson. Uh, what was going on before that fight? And was it a distraction? And, and obviously, that was your UFC debut after Contender Series. Did that add a lot of pressure to your situation? Yeah, first, that's a lot of pressure. Second one, people change. After I win my first UFC fight, they change about me. First, when I just came to ATT, everyone was liking me, everyone helping me. But after I get this first fight, like, I already not everyone was liking me. A lot of people get jealous, and of course, they kind of messing me up. Because, you know, your teammates, when you're working with them, they know where is your traumas, where are your weak places. And, you know, some teammates trying to hurt me before my fight. <laughs> and some of them just create drama and that was really a lot of drama a lot of stress in this fight also i get the craziest money in my life and i was struggle while with money and for short time i have to fix my life quick and i think i shouldn't get fight so early because i have to take my time fix my life like at least get myself car or something i don't even have car in this camp i was riding bicycle five or six hours a day because you know florida is big and you have to have car to just be able to do your things and in that camp i have only bicycle and i have to go this 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 this, this, this. and i just ride in my bicycle five hours a day on florida and you know that was not right that's what you shouldn't do if you ufc fighter and after fight with Shanna Dobson, I get my license, I get my car, so camps become much easier. But before this, I was having bicycle and I was like riding my bicycle five, six hours a day sometimes because I have no opportunity to drive somewhere and paying for Uber, that's very expensive. And, you know, like I think I should take my time and fix my life, make it more comfortable for next camp. But I just jump into next camp and I have a lot of problems and a lot of drama, like, and like one, my coach say, everything that can go bad in this fight, go bad. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you were okay riding a bike in Florida. The drivers are not very good drivers. I'm surprised they didn't, they didn't get you. You, you did well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but after I get car, everything become much easier and I become more productive and my camps become much better because when you don't have car in Florida, that's terrible. That's very terrible. And, uh, and finally, obviously, Marina's got more on her mind than just you as an opponent. Uh, she's from the Ukraine, and there's uh, an invasion going on right now in the Ukraine. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at that as somebody from another Eastern European country, uh, I believe, well, actually, Kazakhstan is probably closer to Asia, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, either way, when you look at this kind of thing happening in the world, what's your perspective on it? Like, I don't like war. I don't like what happens in Ukraine. I don't like it. I want peace for everyone. And uh, Marina, she still make it on fight. So that's very cool. I think that she still make it even if, if her country going on stuff like this. But in January, it was kind of revolution in my country in Kazakhstan. So I can understand how she feel that you worried about your relatives, about your friends, that you can't sleep. 
So I feel sorry she goes through this, but anyway, we have to decide our conflict and cage. And even if it happens, I feel sorry, but I'm not going to be merciful and cage because of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, uh, Maria. You're a fantastic fighter, the Demon Slayer. Maria Gapova, looking forward to seeing your performance this Saturday. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed the interviews from UFC President Dana White, Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal, Tiago Alves, Kevin Holland, and Maria Agapova on this week's TSN MMA show, Interview Edition. We'll be back next week with more interviews. We've got a big card headlined by a man who I believe will one day be the UFC light heavyweight champion, Magomed Ankalaev, and Thiago Santos. And that's going to be a nice card next weekend as a, you know, kind of a dessert then. A dessert from the main course of UFC 272. So we look forward to recapping that next week. Myself and Bazooka Joe Valhalini, as well as bringing you interviews from some of those featured on next week's card and beyond in the mixed martial arts space. Thanks for tuning in. And please do subscribe, rate, review the show. We always appreciate that. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.